and we're off. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bar Bar Open Mic Series podcast. That's also known as the BWAMS podcast. We're coming to you straight up from Power at the Pass here in El Paso, Texas. We, uh, we're swimming along with our episodes. I apologize because it did take me a little while to keep my momentum when I first started. Finals week happened, and uh, that's a lot of grading, it's a lot of essays, and it's a lot of students, you know, finally caring about their grade and seeing what they can do to pass. <laughs> but, uh, you know, regardless, you know, plus the open mics and everything, it's just, it's been a little busy. We recently released the episode featuring Far Beyond, A Billy Free and Wise Weapon. That was a very cool edition that we recorded live at the Black Orkin Lounge, which is one of my favorite bars in town. On that night, it was actually a double feature. In addition to featuring Far Beyond, who performed and DJed and was on the podcast, we also featured today's guest. So it's his time in the spotlight, in the limelight. We have Rex Owen Wade in the house. How are you doing, Rex? How's it going, man? Good. Thank you, Richie. Thank All right. For so for me. those of you who don't know, Rex... Uh, was featured at the Barbwar Open Mic series, and he read from his latest release, a book called Dreams of Chaos on Silence. It's a five-piece story. A five, was it five stories in it? It's it's got it's a what I call a literary opera, and it's got five movements, two of them being palate cleansers, in between the the major compositions. We will and we will dive into that. So very quickly. A little, about, a little bit about Rex. He is a man of many hats, including the cool one he came in with today. And, uh, and by that I mean he's uh, an author, as we'll talk about today, but he's also a painter, an illustrator, musician, and filmmaker. Uh, in addition to that, he's just a very good, sincere guy, nice person to talk to. Uh, he's been promoting his book lately around the city, and he'll be traveling to promote, promote his book. And so it's an honor to have him here today. Again, at Power at the Pass, uh, presented you know, presented by Power at the Pass, the Be Woman's podcast. Um, Rex, welcome to the studio, man. How are you doing today? Good. I'm I'm great. It's an honor to be on the show. I mean, your your uh, Be Woman's is number one in Texas, best open mic in Texas. What so, a crazy title, huh? Right. That's incredible. It, it really is incredible. And Texas is a big place. It's a pretty big place. <laughs> and so uh, I'll say that. This didn't happen out of nowhere. It's you know this is our tenth year, and um, we've had excellent project directors over the years, and so I'm I'm lucky to have inherited this in many ways, and and uh, you know I continue to help it grow. And so, in the history of the open mic, really we started this podcast to one celebrate the ten years of doing the open mic. You know podcasts are in, so if you're listening right now, you guys are part of the in crowd. Very. You know if you, whether you're driving home from work, going to work, doing chores, cleaning dishes, anything really. We appreciate you guys tuning in to listen. Um, we have the train outside right now. Yeah, it is. El that's uh, one of, that's exactly, that's one of the, our landmarks out here. Yes, it is. Okay, and so over the years we've had many types of performers come through, all sorts of writers, performers, spoken word poets, fiction writers, nonfiction writers, class fiction writers, haiku artists. Actually, I don't really think that's a thing. But uh, <laughs> we'll make it a thing. And we've had musicians and, and uh, comedians, all sorts of performances over the years. And um, including in that lineage of featured artists, you can call yourselves now B-Wom's featured artist. Okay. Um, and so we're going to talk a, a little bit about everything today. And so really kind of the main thing right now is 
you have your book out, Dreams of Chaos and Silence, Dream which you, it's like an imperative statement. Dream of Chaos, yes. Like, uh, a, lot of the, a lot of it is written in um, a way to bring in the reader. So, uh, yeah, we can talk about that more. And you ask, um, in many ways, you, it's, that's right, with your preface, you invite the reader to dream with you. Yes, I do. Yes, and uh, I did want to talk about some of the concepts that you discuss on your preface, because in many ways it sets up the, the stories that follow. Um, so Dream of Chaos and Silence, um, you've described it as a literary opera. Yes. Okay, and then that's because there's a, uh, a definitive movement, right, and a transformation from one story to the next to the next till its natural evolution. Um, so, here in the intro, let me open up the book here. By the way, you guys can get yourselves a copy. Where can they find the copy of this? They can go directly to the website, bleakinkpress.com, and they can get, uh, there are samples of each story, and there's a link where you can get direct, uh, direct link to the, the page where you can buy it. Excellent. In fact, actually, let's start there. This is published by Bleak Ink Press, Yep. and uh, I've liked their page and all that. Tell Thank me you. a little bit about Bleak Ink Press and how you linked up with them. Well, Bleak Ink Press is actually something that I started along with one of my best friends, uh, James. Uh, I don't think I should give him the last name, but he goes under the pseudonym Richard James, okay. and we we spent a lot of time uh, in his in his house just kicking it, watching movies, and talking forever, always talking about writing stuff and then publishing it and doing the dream that we both have. And in 2015, I did a chapbook or a, a compilation of his poems with my illustrations, and that was our first bleaking. We just went to FedEx and printed off a bunch of copies. Okay. And then and I did my own thing where I had my story, did my illustrations, and now I'm moving up, you know, going sure. from a, something small to something bigger and bigger and hopefully ever bigger. And that's where, that's where we are now, is me trying to make it a legitimate press where I also invite other people to submit their work and I can publish their work also. Absolutely. And so you guys can actually find Bleak Ink Press online as well. I believe um, there's a website. Yes, it is a website for the function. website. Uh, we'll link it as well when we Perfect. promote the episode. All right, cool. And so Dream of Chaos and Silence is kind of one of the first big works, again, because in the sense that, you know, you're getting a chance to tout it all over. You've arranged some readings so far, some public readings, including the, the barbed wire open mic. Yep. And uh, other coffee shops all around town. Mm -hmm. And also out of town. This is going to take you outside of town. Where, where are you going to be traveling to promote the book? I'm going to be traveling up through New Mexico. So next, uh, this weekend actually, it's coming up really fast, is Truth or Consequences. And then I'll be back in Las Cruces the following weekend. And then the week after, I'll be in Albuquerque at a, at a, at a small bookstore there. Uh, Tidal Wave Books. Books. And they've welcomed me. And uh, will all of these venues be coffee shops and or bookstores? The, in Truth or Consequences, it is a coffee shop bookstore. Okay. It's called Black Cat Books and Coffee. Sounds great. And then in Las Cruces, it'll be Coes Books. They don't have coffee there, but I'm sure they uh, promote drinking coffee and reading their literature. And then uh, in Tidal Waves, I think there's next door to Tidal Waves, there are a bunch of coffee shops. Okay, great. Uh, so you'll go tour through New Mexico. Yes, all that is, um, That's something that I've, I got to experience a little bit of. Nice. You know, about a year ago, I traveled with Valentin Sandoval. You know, he has his book that, that he published. I um, can't remember the press right now. Western Edge Press. Western Edge Press out of Santa Fe, New Mexico. And uh, it ended up winning the Southwest Book Award. 
Wow. You know, and we'll talk a little bit about that right now. It's great. And so he got to he had an opportunity to to go and read his you know, read passages of his book throughout New Mexico and I joined I joined him in part of that journey. We went all the way up to Taos, actually. Nice. And um, that was a lot of fun. And and so speaking of legitimacy, you know, one of the things that you're aiming for in this book by reading it, but also you mentioned recently that you finally um, Kirkus, right? Yes, Kirkus. Kirkus finally reviewed your book. How, tell me a little bit more about that. Well, uh, I was really trying to get the book in as many venues as possible. And one of them, obviously, to me is the library because I frequent the library at least once or twice a week. Uh, Paso Public Library? The Paso Public Library. Okay. And uh, you have to get it reviewed by a professional reviewing company. And uh, if you open up any fiction book, Kirkus is probably the headline of who who, public, who uh, reviews, along with Publishers Weekly, uh, New York Times. But they have a, an indie company as well, Kirkus. So I got my Kirkus review today, coincidentally. Um, and they had some, some good things to say and some, you know, some constructive, we'll say some constructive things sure. to say about the book. And... Um, and it was stuff that I had known already, you know. It was, I feel like this book is really uh, just me trying to get that first thing under my belt, you know. Trying to get that, that first mile, and then now it's about making the mile faster. Right on, man. But uh, yeah, Kirkus had a really good review. Um, they liked Weightless a lot. Yes, that's, it's such a great opening piece, a great opening story. And, and earlier when we were discussing this, just casually, uh, one of the things that struck me about it, and I'll just bring it up now, you know, since we're on, on the actual show. Um, it has such a great opening line. And I think in literature, that's one of the things most known about about famous books. You know, for example, Call Me Ismail from Moby Dick. Um, what else? It was the best of times. It was, it was the, the worst, worst of times. times. You know, they're just, they're, it was a dark and stormy night. Mm-hmm. Most people don't even know where that one's from. I don't either. Like, so the, the line sounds... transcended the fame of the book, which yeah. is... A little interesting. My one of my favorites of all time is uh, from 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, which um, to me I think a good opening line leaves a little bit of mystery. So this I remember it goes like this: Many years later, as he faced the firing squad, Colonel Adeliano Wendia was to remember that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. Hmm. What a you know what an interesting setup to I think which is the entire book. And uh, along the lines, yours has such a, a shocking opening line that I think it just compels the reader to keep on reading. And so with that, that sense, I'll, I'll come up with another line that I really love. It's from a, a detective novel from Iceland. Uh, the author's name is Arnoldur Indriasson. I probably butchered that. Indriasson. And uh, <laughs> the first line of that book goes like this. He knew at once it was a human bone when he took it from the baby who was sitting on the floor chewing on it. That's, That's a crazy great. line, right? Like, it's, it's visual, he knew it was it's a human intriguing, bone. it's mysterious, it's visceral almost. Not almost, it is. It's very it's Very, and I think that's something you, you hit on many times in your book is, is a type of a punch, right? Good. That's is visceral, and, and I think that can be embodied in many ways. There's, I think something can be viscerally comedic, Mm-hmm. But it, cause it, there's also the type of violence and that's more shocking that, that's meant like to leave an imprint. Stick. So there's different variations of that. And I think the opening line of Weightless, which is your first story, it compels is. that. So, And that's, that's actually one of the things that Kirkus said is that uh, I showed a really strong voice. Yeah. And um, there were parts of it that were very powerful. Yes. And um, that's, that's, 
the best thing I'm going to take from that review. Um, <laughs> and it's actually, I already put it on my Facebook page, so you can go to my Facebook page, okay. and it's on, um, it's, I published it through my Facebook Facebook page. For the book or your, your personal one? Uh, for both, for okay. the, the Bleak Ink and for my personal one, yeah. Okay, great. And so, just to kind of, so you guys can know what we're talking about, those of you listening, this is the first line of Waitlist, and in fact, really just kind of opens up the whole literary opera. It does. I knew she would die as soon as I pushed her off the railing. So simple. So simple. But really kind of introduce us, introduces us to, uh, you know, the, not just kind of the theme of the first story, but like really what it's about. And, and, and uh, well, you have to read it. In many ways, it's a mystery. It kind of is a mystery. And it's, it's um, weightless. I don't know how I would describe weightless. I, I actually wrote it originally on a, on a sheet of paper on both sides, longhand. And I had kind of like a little bet with one of my friends. We were okay. working at the same place. And he was like, all right, we both have to write a tragedy. And we're going to see which one's best. Okay. And uh, oh, you have 24 hours to do it. So I did it. <laughs> Those and are the best kinds of bets, literary bets. That's how we got Frankenstein. Frankenstein, um, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's right. Lord Byron was there orchestrating mm -hmm. this whole thing. Exactly. So, they were off getting high or whatever. And exactly. Bacchan you know, having a night of Bacchanalia. And, mm -hmm. and uh, that just came from a writing contest, you know? Like, let's see who can write the scariest story. Yeah, who, um, who can run faster? And both of you are going to run your fastest in that moment. Cool, so you had one of these with your, your friend here. I did, and then I took the story and it, uh, it just spawned a life of its own. You know, more things started happening and I had more things. When it really, when I wrote it, I didn't understand what it was about. Okay. I just had some cool stuff in my head and I was like, I'm going to put it on paper. Okay. But once I read the one, the one page story that I had written, I kind of started to see there were things and themes and characters involved, and they had something there. So I just kept writing. Yeah, and so um, I want to I draw on that right now. In fact, whenever I read something, especially if I'm you know, looking at a friend's work, I'm always curious what is the, the catalyst of that piece. Sometimes you know, what inspires us, we think of one specific line or one image, and then it kind of blooms around it, or we have a concept or an idea. Right. And I think in, in this one, you, you, know, you talk a lot about dark matter and quantum physics. Yes. Now, is that something that came later on as you continued to write? Or is that kind of what spurned some of the conversation or, or the character's actions? That, that was part of the magic that just happened when I sat down to write it. When I uh, started thinking of opening lines, it was that line that popped up. And there's, the, there's a giant disconnect between planning a short story or a novel and uh -huh. then sitting down with a piece of paper and a pen and then letting that stuff come out and for some reason I mean I've always been interested in science I was okay. gonna be a chemistry major for a while so I, I used to do a lot of research and reading stuff um, and for some reason that just found its way in I guess it was yeah. a reaction to why is he pushing these people off buildings yes you know and, and so just um, to inform you guys again so the first story is called Weightless and the main character's name is Foster now I'm just gonna go ahead and read the the preview made in the back of the book. So there's no spoilers there, no spoilers. but I think it embodies. You know, I I think we probably want to stay spoiler free here because yeah, people want to read your book. We can stay spoiler free. Okay, so this is uh, in in the back of the book, right? Brief description of Weightless. Foster's psychological aversion to people is manifesting in his waking life as he pushes others away from him, and off buildings. <laughs> there's a little bit of humor in that. There is, and I think that's that's one of your main operating uh, systems. One of your MOs is 
a little bit of humor and darkness. Yes, and you know when I when I was just out of high school, I wrote two novels because I've always wanted to be a writer. Okay, and those were very dark, dark novels. And every time I've ever written anything, because I've done some stuff at the at the BWAMs too, uh -huh. and everything I usually write is pretty dark. But lately, I've kind of come to this realization: I need to let my intention get out of the way of the organic nature of, yeah. of creating yeah. something. Kill your darlings. Kill your darlings. Yeah. You know, and my darling is the stuff I try to dream up, but I don't yeah. let stuff happen. And when, if I let things happen, if I let myself be true to who I am, I think I'm actually kind of funny. You know, <laughs> I have my funny moments and that stuff just peeks through whenever I get out of my own way. Yes, there's definitely, definitely a type of black humor, dark humor. You know, one of my favorite novelists of all time is Kurt Vonnegut. Oh my God. And he Kurt just, Vonnegut. he just keeps, he's, he writes and has a voice that is in, in one end simple, but on the other end, it's just, it's profound because of that simplicity. It's genuine. And out of that, he derives humor out of it. Very much so. Yeah. And it is, it's, it's, it's like you said, very simple, but yeah. the way he approaches his vision, like, have you read Timequake? Of course. Okay. The way he wrote that is unlike anything I've ever read before. You know, he talks about himself as a character writing the book itself. Yeah. Which something I mean, sets up the whole idea of, of going back and forth. But uh, he has, yeah, he has a lot of postmodern tendencies. And you also have um, stylistically, mm -hmm. you know, you make um, certain choices in intents and in point of view that um, I think for in many ways you're you're rewarding a good reader. Yes, very yeah. much so. Yeah. That's really, really important to me. Uh, and we were talking about that uh, a little bit with uh, Girl with Dragon Tattoo. David Foster Wallace is one of my major influences, and he yes. really makes you work. He, he's not one of the kinds of writers you read in a room with some music not on. Not very passively. Yeah, you, no. you can't read passively at all. Mm -hmm. You have to sit down and take notes and underline yes. and highlight, and you have to really be present. There you go, just like you do with my book. Yes, and so since this is you know sound, I, what I did is I showed him my book, and I have, uh, I'm a big fan of Marginalia. I love to underline Fantastic. things right in the margins. Uh, to me, that's such a beautiful engagement with artist words. And that's kind of what we're talking about here is how yeah. you engage with a piece of work. Yeah, you know, you, Reading is an art, too. It is. And you get out of whatever it is you put into it. And it's the same with David. You know, you have yes. to work. And if you do, there's beautiful things to find there. And uh, I'm glad you touch on the, the tenses and the points of view because those, uh, those are really indicative of the characters. And if you... Uh, write those off as amateurish writing, then you lose the essence of what the the story is really, really about. Mm -hmm. And the whole, the overlying theme of, of Dream of Chaos is presence. Um, I love that. And I, I wrote that down too when I heard your reading. Um, you did a reading at Cafe Toteca. Cafe Toteca. Great spot. I love it. Yeah, it is. It's wonderful. And, uh, it's coming up. It's really good. You know, that's one of the things I picked up from your reading there is this idea of presence. Now, we'll, we'll, touch on this okay. later because it's such a huge theme it is but you know kind of drawing back on you know this is kind of your first major effort as an author that at least is you know in the limelight as a public thing and i think there's a i don't know if, if you experienced it this way but you know talking about your your specific intention of your style and it being written off as amateurish yes. that's tricky right because mm -hmm. i don't know if you had anxiety about that I, I think you did it into the extent you had to at least include it in your preface yes so so people don't dismiss you right away mm -hmm. um because it, it's very easy to dismiss anything yeah um, so i'm glad you you know i think uh, i really love the preface i 
I've been carrying this book around with me and oh, reading when I when I can. And really, you know, people still stop and ask, hey, what are you reading? You know, nice. What is this? And so I love, you know, I hand it to them. Well, here, take a look. And uh, I usually just have them read the preface. Nice. And uh, people usually find that pretty interesting. Good. You know, even even on the preface, I have like a couple of pages of notes and questions that I had. Interesting. Uh, that we can dive into. In fact, you know, you kind of start off by defining chaos. I do. And uh, I think this is so interesting juxtaposed with the first piece, right, about you know, weightlessness, weightless, sorry, but this idea of weightlessness and, and a lot is to be made of imagery from metaphysics or not, but quantum physics. Quantum you know? physics and metaphysics. I think so, yeah. You, you kind of draw imagery from this. And so to me, I think it's interesting because chaos and cosmos go hand in hand. They like do. Chaos is the opposite of cosmos. And so... And the cosmos is very chaotic. Exactly, yes, which is, you know, when you talk about quantum physics... It's it's the same thing. How is nothing everything? How is everything everything nothing? And it's it's trying to make sense of this. And that's I think that's what you're talking about in the preface. You're talking about the difference between things. Yes, the right? difference in the and... space between you know the space between two things. What what do we fill that with? Yeah. You know, it's a lot of things, and it's present in. I think you mentioned you mentioned like the things these characters go through. Yeah. Um, anxiety. Anger, you know, frustration, absurdity. I think absurdity is kind of one of the main keys in, in a lot of your stories, too. Absurdity is a really big thing. And um, a lot of the, the impetus for writing some of these short stories, or most of them, is uh, I got really into bizarro fiction for a while. Okay. And uh, bizarro fiction, it's, it's a growing subgenre of horror, sci-fi, and the main theme of it is absurdity. Okay. And not absurdity like, oh, that's just weird stuff put together with other weird stuff, and that makes sure. it absurd. Absurdity in the classical form of philosophy is uh, not understanding the purpose and truth of life and being on an ever, a never-ending quest to find that purpose. Right. And realizing sometimes that when you do find that purpose, there's nothing there. <laughs> and that that fear, that uh, anxiety, mm -hmm. that depression, that leading into optimism or uh, pessimism is really what this book is about. Oof. And uh, I think you say it so well in that first paragraph of the par of the preface or the introduction. I keep saying the preface, but Good it's time. essentially an introduction. Yeah. Uh, I mean, same similar things. Yes. Uh, so you talk about difference, and, and I like the way you say, what remains between this gap of knowing and searching lies the great ocean of chaos. And I underline this, the gap of knowing and searching. Mm -hmm. um, it made me, in a way, kind of take a little bit of Derrida, difference, right? And, and you know, and that's kind of more in uh, structural, it's a more of a structuralist kind of thing, right? Deconstruction, yes, kind of going off of that. And you know, what's the difference between the symbol of something and, and what it actually means? And yes. I, I think here you're taking it with, you know, ourselves. How do we come to self, mm -hmm. right? And especially in a self that is not alone, but part of a society. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of your stories kind of engage that somehow at some point, right? Whether it be fosters, you know... Uh, what sort of addiction to pushing people off of buildings? And it and is. It's an addiction to, to pushing people away from him. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then when you even think about the act of pushing, he's not kicking people. He's not, uh, like, taking a, uh, a stick and knocking them off. The, he's pushing them with his arms that are connected right to your chest, right to his heart. And he's just pushing people away from his heart. And he has an aversion to even his own feelings. That's why he intellectualizes things so much. Yeah. 
And that's and that's actually kind of interesting because that is the advice that he gives to Ray. Yeah, it's patient. So and and the, while I was reading, I was like, dude. In many ways, I felt like you were gonna pull a rug under us, and like these were like a prequel. Like like his, the interviews were like a prequel before mm-hmm. he started doing all this. Or was Ray his first victim? No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't his no, first it wasn't. victim. No. Um, so I thought maybe like that might be a twist um, because because at, at one point I was like, why is he saying this one thing to to his patient Ray, and kind of doing these other this thing, you know? Well, and and I'll kind of give a little bit of insight into that too. Um, now there's the the classic idea that you see in yourself, uh, you see in other people what's really yourself. Uh-huh. You know, you can't know yourself. You can know other people. So when he's telling other other people uh, what to do and how to approach life, that's really him trying to instruct himself. Figures, yeah. But Foster doesn't know who he is. He does, but he's he's compartmentalized that and sure. tossed it in the trash. So it's a long time ago. Um, yeah, wait, listen, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that one. I like that one a lot. Yeah, and, um, you know, was it a Virginia Woolf author? Mm-hmm. Is it Woolf? Oh, man, I'm, I'm going to shame myself. She talks about how her characters have tunnels. Like, uh, you know, there's a certain depth. The characters should have so. a certain depth yeah. to them. And you explore that here in, in such a short story. You know, you explore a little bit of Foster's past. You know, whether it be his father, you know, and, or, you know, this, this character, Andrea, too, yeah. who kind of still lingers around him and and you you manifest them later on in, in an interesting way i'm not going to spoil that don't spoil it yeah yeah no. it's a yeah it, it's a it is interesting and the way the way i kind of approach writing um especially short stories now novels are a different thing sure. but short stories i i got it from oh my god um isn't it the worst when you, when you yeah. have it on the tip of your mind? <laughs> uh, Catcher in the Rye, uh, J.D. Okay. J. Yes, Salinger. J.D. Salinger, he, if, if you read Catcher in the Rye, every word in there is purposeful, and it builds and mm. compounds on the previous word, and it just impacts the next word. And that's really what I try to do with my fiction. So okay. there are things in there that uh, echo from one chapter to the next, you know, the word swamp, I'll throw this out there. So when, when the listeners are reading the book, the word swamp is in one chapter and then immediately followed into the next chapter, first paragraph. And, uh, that is very intentional. Mm. Um, that, that word is a cue to remember what happened in the previous chapter. Ah. And he, he, there's a character that says, uh, why are you the way you are? And he talks about a swamp and the next, um, leads into the why. Um, yeah, so it's supposed to all build on each other. So you're creating these, these kind of threads of meaning, yes. which I, I think is... A, like a spider web. Yeah, and if, you know, when you talk about spider web, if you touch one part of the web, it's connected to the other. And so you shake one end, it shakes the other end. And I think, wow, that's pretty nice. You're creating these, these little threads here that, again, if, if a reader is working, mm-hmm. can really follow it, you're rewarding them. Yes. You know? um, I like that. And uh, you know, I'm just looking over my notes here in the book. I'm actually curious into your notes well because one of my favorite things about reading books like used books or something is that people do write in the margins you know, oh, if I'm lucky I love going to used bookstores yeah. you know uh, and I can see where yeah. their mind was when they read this now where's my mind where was their mind and how are they similar how are they different you know yeah um, and that's why I love marginalia you know I've gone to bookstores and, and especially I like to get books on uh, criticism lit critters and so when someone writes in the margins of one of those, it's somebody <laughs> responding to somebody else's thoughts on somebody else's work. And it's, it's like, like, wow, what? Post, 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 postmodern type of thing, like yeah. just removing it from the original source. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and you like know, that. we 
we consume so much culture, it's nice to be engaged, you know, and, and even produce it, you know, to speak to your book. Now, yeah, I, I mean, we could dive into these, but again, I don't want to really spoil it because I think each story has its own, uh, it's a, it's its own world, mm -hmm. but in many ways they're also connected. They are right. They're very connected, and maybe not in character or uh, situation and circumstance, but in the progression of what these characters are experiencing and how they deal with those experiences. Now, um, some enlightenment on how the book was constructed is, uh, you, you know, you go through life, and at first you try to intellectualize the world. You know, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling these things? And that's kind of Foster. He's intellectualizing yes. the world. And then you go into the second story, which is Cold Sore. It's much more visceral. Oh, very much so. It's 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 feeling. There's no intellectualism there. It's just grounded it's feeling. It's it's very raw. You and know, like you uh, said earlier, sorry. I, I appreciate. You know, one of the things I was I was talking to Valentina as I was reading the book. One of the thing I appreciate about your your style is you are very visual. Yes. You know, um, not just in in even metaphors and similes, uh, but I feel that it's very in, at points. You have a very cinematic nature to your to the way you write, and, you. and to the sense where I can even imagine like uh, um, if this were, if this were adapted, mm -hmm. when we'll get to that, yes, if will. it were adapted into you know a, a movie or short film, you know I can I can imagine certain aspects, and then not just that, but a way to visualize the abstract into the concrete. Very much so, and that yeah. was part of the battle: is how do I say these things without saying them, you know, directly. You know, uh, yeah. Carlos Castaneda was a writer, and yes. he always said, if you approach somebody directly, you're not going to get the response you want. You have to approach them indirectly, and that's going to draw even more of a, of a of juice from the fruit when you squeeze it. You know, yeah. so I approach these ideas from from the side, like smacking in the face with them. Hopefully, that's right. No, and, and I think I've I've kind of already said that on yeah. this on this show. Some of them just kind of pack a punch Good. that hits the reader. Um, now. It's interesting that you you mention mention this. Um, you know, you talk about this. so it's five pieces in addition to waitlist. There's two intermissions, two flash fiction intermissions. One is the pit, yes, right, and the other is man with a knife. Now, if you think of a palette, I think of something nice <laughs> and sweet and and really like I know it comes from the same root, palatable. You know? Yeah. But these aren't exactly like that either. Do you want to tell me about your flash fiction pieces you use here? Yeah, well, so when I was constructing the book, they were, uh, they came out to be 50, 60 pages, uh, some of them. And I really, when I read collections and I see, I go to the table of contents and the first thing I do is I look at the page count and I see like, which one am I going to read first because they're shorter or which one looks interesting. Um, and this one is intended to read from beginning to end, straight okay, through. Good. However, um, when when I see a bunch of longer length short stories, I get intimidated. So I thought it'd be nice to give my reader, like you said, a reward. Here's a nice chunk of literature. You really have to get involved and you have to work really hard to understand some of the stuff I'm talking about to get what I'm telling you, um, to get the most out of it, I mean. Okay. Um, but then you have a one-page short story that's very straightforward. There's no hidden meanings. Well, I mean, maybe some hidden I, I don't know. I was about They're to say, very, yeah. very allegorical and metaphorical. And, yes, uh, definitely. Um, and, 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 I mean, a lot of this book is, is very autobiographical as well from that metaphorical standpoint. Yes. Um, but, yeah, very, very, very autobiographical. Um, so maybe whoever's reading it will take it a little bit 
differently now knowing that this stuff is partly true yeah and um yeah so the the flash fictions is just me kicking ground trying to write something really quick and heavy and hit them really fast and i would say so you know the pit is one page and it even has a, a visual element to it yes it does right uh, tell me about that well um when I wrote it, I was actually intending to do maybe a 3,000-word story from it. Okay. You know, it spawned kind of from an idea from William Burroughs' story called The Valley. Okay. And um, I was like, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do my own way. And I only had a couple hundred page, a couple hundred words, maybe not even that, but I still liked it a lot. I mm-hmm. felt like it was enough. Right. And I really like flash fiction also. Oh, so uh, my, my, uh, my girlfriend, Diana Vega, she's a wonderful artist herself, photographer, filmmaker. And uh, she got something together for me on Illustrator. And I told her what I kind of wanted. You know, like as you read the story, you're falling into a pit. Yeah. And that's what it is. You kind of do that with Waitlist too. I noticed. Uh, and that's, that's something always when you try and uh, visualize text. Well, I'm, again, I'm not going to spoil it, but okay. there's a certain action, yeah, right? With the, And that's also uh, translated in the way I introduce the title pages. The title pages go from very bold to just kind of fading down the page. I see that. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Or vice versa. Yeah. And so, you know, and then you have another piece, um, Cold Sore, right? Mm-hmm. And the description here, Max is a selfish prick with a blemish on his lip. For all those he hurt and for all the pleasures he enjoyed, his cold sore will become his only friend. Sorry, that was a weird pause. Become. <laughs> become his only friend. Um, and so something I kind of picked up from Foster a little bit, like, I don't know. Um, f- by the way, I didn't I didn't even ask. Is Foster, is that David Foster Wallace kind of shout out? Partly. Part, yeah. Or is it even the meaning of the word Foster? Um, both. That was actually something I had considered also. But, I mean, I love David Foster Wallace. I, I love him to death. And, um, yeah, uh, Foster Wallace is very much like Foster in the short story. Uh-huh. Intellectual by all measures. Yeah. So much so that his soul gets shadowed and eclipsed by this brain thing that he mm. can't just let go. But as soon as he can let go of it, he can be a beautiful, beautiful person. Oh, yes. Uh, he has his moments. He has his moments. And I think that's... It's such a great story, and that's, I Thank think, you. why we keep coming back to it, you know, and, and in fact, the the advice he's giving, you know, so mm-hmm. I think that's always kind of one of the most interesting things. He's a, he's a therapist. He is, a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist, right? And so he says, um, you're intellect, intellectualizing when you should be experiencing. There's a difference. When you inte- intellectualize, you are forced to create distance so that you can examine all possible sides. Experience. True True experience. experience is non-judgmental, free of preconceived notions and aware of all possibilities without having to understand what and why they are what they are. So I, I underline that because I'm like, hmm, this is kind of interesting because yeah. you know I, I think a lot of people can even identify with this. Very much this so. This aspect when we overthink things, over-intellectualize. Yeah. You know, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily see the statement as anti-intellectual, but... It's, it's, again, trying to examine the difference, right? And that, I keep coming back to that word I brought up, Derrida, of difference. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, you know, your heart has an intellectualism. Your heart knows things. Yes. You walk into a room and you just know what's going on. You can feel it. There's a, a, a knowing in oh. being able to feel. 
uh, a very intuitive yes. type of thing that's uh, a type of knowing without really knowing. Yeah, it's not and, an intellectual uh, endeavor. It's it's something that only comes from your heart. And quick little factoid, because it is a lot of quantum physics. So yeah. um, your brain and your heart both radiate energy and electromagnetic oh, okay. fields. I think your brain only radiates electromagnetic fields of a three meter, uh, three meter diameter mm-hmm. or a three meter radius. Your heart has an electromagnetic radius of 15 meters all the way around. Wow. 15 meter radius. I, I, uh, wow, that's, that's amazing. And that, because this isn't the first time I've heard this. No. You know, I, I, uh, I feel like in many ways it's, it's like Foster's advice for himself. I, uh, you know, my good friend Robert Leal, I don't know if you know him. Oh, he, yeah. uh, he's a very great guy. You know, he, he does a lot of work on... Uh, uh, I'm drawing a blank right now. But he, he does a lot of uh, meditation and breath work workshops. Okay. okay, And he was telling me this exact same fact. And yeah. I thought it was very interesting. And it makes you... To me, with this, in light of this fact or information, uh, it kind of has us consider how do our actions, you know affect ourselves and, and other people. Yeah. And I feel like with the first two, couple stories, you know, it, it's kind of thinking about that, you know, their actions and how it affects everyone else. Or their inactions. In, in, inactions. in Max from Cold Source case, I mean, Max only does what he wants to do. And if anybody else wants to do something, um, he dismisses it. And yeah. it, it goes, the opening scene is him and his girlfriend and his girlfriend asks him, like, why aren't you going to go on this trip with me? They well, go, he changed his mind last minute. Yeah. That. yeah. And that's a, that's, a, that's a great point. He changes his mind last minute. I don't want to go anymore because I don't want to be around people. Yeah. You know, I just want to be by myself. Very selfish figure, egotistic. He's already made this commitment. Last minute, he says no. And then if you talk about um, this kind of war of the heart versus mind, he even considers yes. if, you know, he envisions, if he had gone with her, the, you know, he envisions these memories that ne- aren't going to happen. He's like, mm-hmm. he, you know, I would have this memory, which is a very interesting way to write in a tense. And then in, in the end, he, but in the end, he's stubborn about it. He's like, well, those are great memories, but I don't want to be weak. I don't yeah. want to make it seem like she won and I lost. Exactly. And that's, that's the thing that's just so heart-wrenching, especially when I wrote it. Like, God, you, you, <laughs> you want happiness so much, yeah. and you can have it. It's not being uh, taken away from you. It's not... Uh, being uh, mitigated in any way, uh-huh. it's all there for you. All you have to do is just say yes, yeah, and he doesn't. Our action, you know, um, reminds me of Edgar Allan Poe, *Input the Perverse*, the ways in which we act in ways that are against our best nature, you know, our best, you know, outcome. Yeah. We just tend to sabotage ourselves a little. Uh, and you use the word tragedy. It makes me again go back to *Weightless*. You know, the tragedy of, of Ray. Oh, never mind. No spoilers. No, but right. no spoilers. <laughs> But, but you know, Ray, is a, Ray is a pivotal character. He is. He, he is. So as you see his name, just kind of pay attention. You know, pay attention to every single line because these are all carefully constructed cerebral. You know, um, what was it? Carefully crafted cerebral constructions here from nice. from Rex <laughs> Wade. And uh, you know, I, I kind of want to go back to this and this idea of intuition and, and heart versus mind. You know, it, it, it's present in the first story, but again, in Cold Sore, you you talk about probably. Possibly one of my favorite images is, you know, when Max is in the desert. Yep. He's with his friend. Oh, what's his name? Henry. Henry. Okay, he's with his friend Henry. And there's a, a point where Max is in his head, kind of wondering if, if 
Henry is is understanding of a certain plot point, you know, and he yeah. imagines his skeleton as a as a character in very its own right, like well, because acting Henry, of intuition. Henry's a very thin, thin man, and he's they're hugging each other, and um, there's something to Henry's bones that is uh, almost there's a knowing, like you said, an yes. intuition that Henry's bones know something, and they're punishing him for it as they hug each other which that juxtaposition of tender love and uh, innocuous violence oh yes and and he he senses it you know mm-hmm. uh, and that's his his own thoughts his own intuition acting on uh, for himself right Max you know Max's thoughts that is and I just I love the way that scene is written so much Thank so you. well done and I I mentioned to you earlier and I'll mention mm-hmm. to you now on this on the show you know I would love to to share snippets of this with students Awesome. My writing students to you know talk about imagery and to talk uh, about certain aspects of effective writing. So I think that's you know I need to I need to review this too. But again, if you guys are listening, please check out his book. You know, go to bleakingpress.com. Of course, you can also see Rex yourself in person. He's been doing readings, and if you just run into him, ask him. You know, he has copies while they last. Yeah, I do have copies. Go to the Bleaking Press. My direct line, my direct phone number, uh, email. And publishers' emails all up there, and you can get a hold of me, and I'll even uh, deliver the book to you. And uh, it's also online, right? So, Alphamas, can you can you they get a PDF or ebook version? They can get a PDF ebook version. Um, that's that's perfectly fine too. Uh, I'm still working on formatting okay. uh, for ebook, so I mean it's all there. Sure. It's just um, to me it looks funny. My sister says it looks fine, but to me it looks funny. But I'm sure. Kind of a and... Strange perfectionist. <laughs> You know, um, and that's another battle too, like going, kind of going outside the book as someone who creates. And obviously you mm-hmm. do all sorts of cr- types of creation, not just in writing, but, you know, whether, you know, different media. And, uh, you know, sometimes, like I think we, you know, talk about over-intellectualizing. Sometimes like perfection gets in the way of, of because hesitation, you know, we're like, no, it's not right. It's not ready. I've had so many projects personally that yeah. have never left the ground because I... Had my hangups about it, you know, and, and that's that's a. I mean, always going back to David Foster Wallace, he's he's like uh, my kin. But David talks about that as well. That perfectionism was what kills our creative spirit, because we have such great heights and ideas for what we want to do. Yeah. But um, it's the it's the anxiety and the doubt of not being able to reach that perfection that prevents us from even trying. And and thusly, you know, we never get to share. Network, which again is maybe a tragedy. It is, you know. Uh, yeah, and I think it's the same of all mediums. Like I said, I've talked to filmmakers who, you know, sometimes you know people have different philosophies. People just kind of throw anything out there, yeah. anything, anything, and you know, it's maybe not their best work, but maybe but they're evolving. There. So maybe the point is like, you know, how you evolve as an artist. And you even like, I'm reading your inscription, you know, that you yeah. when you sign my book. It says, "Keep evolving." I'm like, yes, yeah, you know, and I think that's a nice sentiment. Thank like you. you know, learn, grow. I think that's those are, are great lessons. I always think about what people write in in yearbooks when you're in high school. Yeah, what do they say? <laughs> Don't change. And I always thought that was kind of like, you know, maybe later on. Obviously, at the time I didn't, but what a a generic way of just you know, don't change. You know, like you never you don't want that person to grow as a human being or a gr- I don't know I'm, I'm just overanalyzing that no I mean, maybe a little bit but in high school like you don't have that foresight to like well if evolution is a natural spiritual thing maybe this person needs to change mm-hmm. but it would sound weird just like 
do it, do something else with your life. <laughs> There's a lot yeah. of growing up, right? And yeah. obviously, you know, it's just kind of a, a script. Yeah, but it's know, a social script, say, yeah. and that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm totally over intellectual. I can't even say it right now. I blame the alcohol. We, oh, uh, we, we have some, some brews on set, you know. But we haven't, uh, even, we haven't even finished the third one. No, I, I <laughs> you know, sometimes I do over intellectualize stuff as well. So I think it's you know, sometimes do. through the act of reading, it, it connects us, mm-hmm. right? Um, what I call kind of, uh, and there's all sorts of um, research. I think that backs us up how. People who read kind of uh, learn a type of empathy, you know. It's like an empathic kind of uh, exercise or practice. It can be. Depends what you're reading, of course. Yeah, I mean, I think fiction, especially because you're you're so involved with character, you get to yeah. go into somebody else's skin for a while and experience life through them. Um, and I think that's really important. And I I can't. I think it's George R. R. Martin who has a quote that says something similar to like, "People who don't read live one life. People who do read live thousands and thousands of lives. They get to experience the world in a totally different way." And, Absolutely. Um, that's uh, that's really important. In getting to experiencing the world with people, the book is is begging you. Uh, to experience it with people. You sit in a room, you start with the book alone in a room, silently reading to yourself uh, about this guy who over-intellectualizes everything, and then you go into this guy who just feels everything in the wrong way, and then the last part of the book is sagacity, hmm. which is... which is So let's actually, talk about sagacity. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, Sagacity is a play. Um, now, sagacity was conceived, the premise of it was conceived by one of my friends here in El Paso, John Sansoni. He's an amazing poet, playwright, novelist, and we used to sit. He was my mentor for a long time, okay, and still is, you know. Um, But we would sit in his apartment, his studio apartment, and we would drink coffee for hours and hours and hours. And he would show me clips of these obscure films that were so artsy. Like if you watched more than ten minutes of them, you'd go crazy. But (laughs) we would we would discuss stuff. And this is one of the things he, he used to try to teach me is, you know, allow yourself to be free, be absurd, be crazy, and more things than you ever could possibly imagine will come from it. And he, t- he told me this idea. And, okay. Uh, and so before you go into it, like, so on the back again, okay. the, you know, the, little, the, tag, the tagline, if you will, is for sagacity is, you want life? Then make the choice. Albert Einstein or rabbit cat? And there's no question mark, Rab- exactly. or Einstein, Albert, Albert Einstein, or Rabbit Cat. Okay, good. So it, it's a, it's 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 counterintuitive because it's supposed to be a question, or is always a question. Sure. But um, it's indicative of what happens in the story. Like to me, there's no question what should or shouldn't happen, and I think where I'm coming from in the perspective of the story is is the universe. There's not a question what the universe wants. Like it wants something specific, and even on a daily, you know. Uh, activity you know when you're doing something against the universe's wishes and you know when you're following your path okay and uh boom period. i'd like to think so you know yeah definitely. show me the signs keep it know? cosmic you know? let me live or feel you know feel, as i say feel free to feel free keep it cosmic thank you yeah. for, for remembering that um so i guess for for listeners maybe if you can help them out can you explain the concept of sagacity Yes. And then just a little bit, kind of maybe explain a little bit more of sagacity. Okay. Like the, the actual play. So first I'll start with the word. Sagacity is a, sagacity comes from the word sagacious, which means shrewd and wise. So I preface, I use that as a preface to the, the synopsis, which is uh, there's a heart 
and uh, the heart needs to be transplanted, and there are two people to get the there are two people in line to get the heart. So there's the surgeon, there's the monk, there's a physicist, and a lawyer, and all four of them are in this room with the these these three hearts, and they're trying to deliberate who gets this new heart. And the choice is Albert Einstein or this rabid cat. So each character wants something different, <clears throat> of course, uh, and they yeah. start talking about why they want it or why they shouldn't have it. Um, and it, it, I mean, talking about absurdity, this one's true absurdity. And that's, you know, when I when I mentioned that, that's kind of what I, I thought of more than anything is, is mm-hmm. when I read the premise to this this piece, you know, the absurdity of it all. Uh, and uh, I don't know, in your mind, is this piece supposed to be didactic in any way? Um, I think, well, every short story, I think to me, every good short story should have some moral. Okay. And uh, the difference between having a moral and a message and being didactic is being too preachy. Sure. And I, Which is very easy for a lot of people to fall into. Very easy. Yeah. You know, and I was scared that I had done that with, with, uh, uh, Waitlist or cold sore, but okay. I, I didn't want it to be preachy. I didn't want it to be didactic, but I did want to impart some kind of uh, a growth. And I think you need to learn something to grow. So it was a, it was a finessing thing. Like, how hard can I push it? <laughs> yeah, right. And just you know, just like again, your your stylistic choices. Mm-hmm. You know how how much can you throw in there before you start to question of whether or not the audience will get it? Yeah. And I think again, you kind of reaching back to. We can't let that hold us back. We just have to do it. Just do it. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, speaking on, on the nature also of, of what we give the reader, um, that, that again, back to David Foster Wallace, kind of reminded me of his, his speech, This is Water. Yeah. You know, which I is, love it. I think, has made its way into culture in a, such a positive way. I always, you know, it's at the point now where I share it with all my classes. You Good. Because I think it's such a, a great speech in its own right now um i don't know who's responsible responsible for it but now there's like a video mm-hmm. that goes with it too right so that is well acted and, and is a very good uh, visual very aspect good. to it you know and that's something we can and it condenses it a lot too because the original speech is 25 minutes yes it, it takes those it, yeah it's a lot of david like commenting on how fearful he is speaking in front of people so they edit uh, that out <laughs> yeah. yeah so but uh but yeah it's 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 a it's a beautiful piece and david foster wallace went to arizona for school for a while i think it okay. was for graduate school he went to arizona yeah and that's when he was getting his uh his asu message. right yeah to asu um or is it u of a mm, I don't know. Don't quote me on that. I okay. Have to, I have to read the biography again. But okay. yeah, he was in Arizona for a long time. And that's where he first started wearing the bandana. But um, it was some students at the Arizona University who did the master's students who did his speech over and then did the movie. Oh, okay. Really? Yeah. I, I think it, it, it's so well done. It's beautiful. If you done. teach yeah. film as well, I think that's a, a nice video to show. Yeah. And really one of the things that he, he mentions there... Is uh, and I've had my students analyze it. I have, you know, I have my students watch it, but also, again, think about it. You know, we think about anal- analysis. You know, when we read, I have them do reading responses. Same thing. If we watch a movie or look yeah. at a piece of art. You know, I want them to dig deeper. You know, what question the author or creator's intentions? You know, how is it successful or not? Mm-hmm. All that kind of stuff. And so I think uh, there's that one point in speech where where Wallace says. You know, this is not to be inst- instruct you to do th- do it this way or that way, but rather it's about you having the choice. Yeah, right, how you want to experience something. To to be conscious and to be present. Yes, and, and that's uh, 
the partly the book is inspired by David, and I mention him in my special thanks. Okay, I saw um, that. And uh, yeah, if he were still here, I totally I give him a lot of props. I mean, he was a wonderful man. But uh, I even quote him a lot in Cold Sore. Now, when okay. Max is trying to be present, he's trying to stay present. Mm. He's listening to parts of This Is Water on the radio. It's okay. an old NPR rebroadcast. Perfect. And um, and that's what brings him back from being submerged by the cold sore consciousness. He's <laughs> listening to David talk about presence. The cold sore consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually underlined presence quite a few times mm-hmm. in some of the pieces, you know, and I think that's something you discussed at the... Cafe Tolteca reading, you know, talking about uh, presence. Um, so what do you mean when you mean presence? Presence can mean a bunch of different things. Yes. Um, when you're in school, being present in your seat, paying attention. Absolutely. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're intellectually there or you're emotionally there. In I class. always joke, you know, when I take attendance, like, okay, you may be here, but, you know, maybe you, you, maybe you left your, your brain at home. Yeah, like, it's know. still sleeping in the bed. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what presence to me is. Now, I was into Buddhism for a while, okay. and uh, presence is being in the moment, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and most importantly, spiritually, because once your okay. spirit is there, everything else is aligned. And um, that's what the book really stresses, is being present. And you grow through, um, really quickly about Cold Sore again, there's a moment where he's driving and he's talking about the sun setting and uh, the sun is giving these glows of orange and purple. Now, um, in the Buddhist chakras, orange is a very um, individual color. It wants to eat and it wants to poop and it wants to fuck and it wants Uh to, sorry, it wants to to reproduce it wants to it wants all of that for itself okay and then purple wants to transcend ah. it wants to leave the body and to understand something bigger ah. so when the, the the sun is bathing him in orange and purple <laughs> that's those colors are very specifically chosen it's quite there's the a war yes uh and so in writing it's great we get to choose our own deliberate images mm-hmm. you know choose the right colors yeah you know i know there's that meme about like uh what color the curtains were i don't know if you've seen that one you know in english class you know an english teacher what mm. why were the color where were the curtains red because they were oh no it was blue because the curtains were blue you know uh, but sometimes you know don't under don't <laughs> undermine or don't like undersell an author's intentional use of a color yes. or a word for certain symbolism very much so. Of course, you know, I always think of Roland Barthes in the end, right? Death of the author, right? In the end, what you put out there is out there now. And yeah. it's up for the audience to kind of create that meaning. Phenomenologically, there's yes. no more, you're not in control anymore. Yeah. So, and again, uh, there's that gap too, that difference between mm-hmm. author's intent and how an audience receives it. So, um, now I know we kind of branched away. We were kind of yeah. into sagacity. Sagacity, So you're yeah. talking about sagacity. Well, and I mean, going back to sagacity, too, sagacity is bathed in green and yellow. Okay. Um, and that's also very indicative of the characters. Yellow is possession, power. I want to own it. I want to have it. And green is the heart chakra. That's the chakra of compassion and letting things happen as they will and being loving. And that whole story is based on those two colors. Oh, that's, that's amazing. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, if you read it, you know, I, I, I was earlier I was mentioning, you know, if you're listening, you can find the copy. Hopefully, they're a lot more easily available. Like if you go to Barnes and Noble, for example, maybe someday you will be able to grab a copy. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. I'm trying. We'll put in a good word. Yeah, thank you. And <laughs> uh, 
And uh, really, if you get it here, has a copy, read it, enjoy it, like dive right in, and more so, res- respond to it. You know, feel free to to give your your feedback, review it. There's all sorts of opportunities and places where you can do so. Mm-hmm. Go on uh, Goodreads, Amazon, yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, Amazon, Goodreads. Just you know, give some feedback. I think it, that's a very important thing to be able to do. So I'm encouraging you to try that. You know. Thank you. And uh, you know. We live in an age where we're connected in so many ways. So don't hesitate to also just contact the author, you know, yeah. in this case, Rex. But in, in anything, you know, sometimes you'll be surprised. If you just try and connect with someone, you might be able to do so. Yeah. And my, my previous chat book, Where Do We Go From Here? I even encouraged people who bought it and read it to... I put my phone number right there, you know. Yeah. Call me up and we'll talk about the story over some beers and some cigarettes you know oh, we love it. and that's the best you know yeah like human interaction it's it's ice you know i think that's something we see in, in this one is kind of isolation versus community or uh, you know communal things like things that we enjoy like the best moments are those shared exactly and that's why like i was saying earlier you know you start with sagacity you start with uh weightless in a room by yourself sagacity is written as a play it encourages you to get your friends get your family okay you're going to be the surgeon i'm going to be the monk you're going to and you're now with people you're now present with other people enjoying something together and that's what the book is about really oh, really about love it. that's that it's at the heart of it right yeah. you talk about like the heart shot you know, you're, like... you're transcending being alone and now you're with people you know, in a, in a universe where it's so easy to feel alone, right? You know, it's important to maybe keep these aspects in mind of what brings us together. Indeed. Uh, okay, and so with sagacity, I'm kind of kind of going to use this to transition. One thing I mentioned is I really like your use of visuals. It's almost cinematic. Nice. And so because of sagacity, mm-hmm. or not because of sagacity, but you have you have an opportunity or you had an opportunity to actually make it a short film. We did. So tell me about that process. Oh my God, I'm so in love with that process right now. Um, <laughs> it's great to be in love with process. It is, you know, uh, and mainly because I'm still in post-production and, and, and still making it as perfect as my perfectionist mind can. But uh, so I, I encourage a lot of my friends. Uh, so Malcolm Stokes, uh, an amazing excellent actor, a, a, amazing, excellent actor, very professional. He's a uh, He's he's fantastic. He's uh he's one of the he's the lawyer, uh, Damien Gray of Coyote Blue. He's the physicist, a fantastic physicist. Yeah. And uh, he really you know when he brought himself and he, that's what I mean like he brought himself to the to the role. He really made me evaluate him and, and Malcolm because they were going back and forth with each other yeah. a lot at the first table reading, and they <laughs> they uh, they made me rewrite some of the stuff to that's make it great. better for him you know to really make it intense. And then uh, one of my one of my uh, friends uh, Sam Montiveros, he's the monk, fantastic monk, and uh, I play the surgeon uh, because I'm a narcissist. And uh, <laughs> you have to include yourself yeah, in it. Yeah, I couldn't just be the writer and the director. Sure. I had to put my face in there too. Uh, and um, so yeah, I'm the surgeon. And then uh, Diana Vega, Diana Vega Rojas. Uh-huh. Uh, she is our cinematographer, uh, editor. She's an amazing editor. We've seen her do great work. Yeah, she does. And um, Anastasia Artelejo who is also an amazing photographer. She's one of the cinematographers for the project. Okay. And uh, she really helped us with lighting and understanding angles and lenses. And she, you know, she's, she's a fantastic person to work with as well. Uh, so yeah, we, we got together. We, um, we did some table readings. We timed it a few times. And then we went through hours of rehearsal and hours and hours and hours of rehearsal. And then we started filming it, you know? And then uh, 
we did some test shots for one day and we came back and we did some more shots and uh, another consultant I had uh, with us was uh, Jeremy Long who's also a fantastic performer here in El Paso yeah he uh, he really lent himself to the project quite a bit um, and allowed us to um, see the monk in a much different way okay and uh, that was uh, important for the the evolution of the pro- of the project I love that and and so you got to experience uh, what I think a lot of people experience the transition from script to film wow that train is like coming right through here huh yeah it is it's the train of change speak louder jump than, on board um, <laughs> yeah it, it's it's a very strange transition and I was even talking to uh, to everyone involved about it like going from the idea in my head to writing it on the page to expecting people to say it a certain way to having them deliver it a certain way sure. to having it seem different on the screen once it's done and edited there's so many things to consider and you really yeah. have to have a vision and a foresight that I really didn't understand until we went to the post and started working on it so it's very much an act of translation as well right very. Uh, between that so cool we look forward to, to hearing that now to maybe start wrapping up mm-hmm. I think uh, well not, not so you know I think with every guest I just feel like we can talk and talk and talk uh, before we you know I kind of went to end by talking about where your writing is now but before that I do want to speak speak a little briefly on another aspect of the book and that is the promotion of the book you've okay. been doing readings tell me a little bit of how you've experienced that okay so the readings I, uh, I don't know how it happened but I just got in my head that I should go on a book tour sure so I started doing that, and then um, I had uh, you were you were really the the first leg of it at BWAMS when I yeah. presented a little bit of the of the book with some pretty good. It was very lucky that Damien Gray was there. I think he came out to see me, which was yeah. very awesome of him, and uh, he's very supportive and amazing amazing uh, creative powerhouse. Uh, and he was there, and we got to do a little bit of sagacity for the audience, which was really really absolutely fun. that was awesome. Yeah, it was. And um, and also, I just one of the things I, I really love about the open mic, and I'm not just saying this because I run it, but I just think it's so cool that we can get together at a bar, have some drinks, and like share each other's work. Yeah. You know? it, it is. It's it's great. And, and everybody does kind of revolve together in this city. You know, Everybody knows each other in some yeah. degree of separation. Um, so yeah, it was uh, at BWAMS, and then I had a reading at Cafe de Tolteca. Uh, a great cafe up and coming right now. It's got his own open mic coming in too on the May 18th. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I was also at Jovany Bronson's. Um, JVB? JVB, Jovany Bronson's. We'll talk about that experience here in a moment. And then I'll also <laughs> be at uh, Truth or Consequences and Black Cat's Book, Black Cat Book and Coffee, uh, Coast Books, Las Cruces, and then Tidal Wave Books. Now, reading at Jovany Bronson's, you're reading at a bar that's not really conducive. Essentially. Essentially. And isn't as used to, I think, open mics or, <laughs> or listening in that kind of environment. Yeah, it's more a hangout spot, sure. not really a, yeah. a particip- group participation and, and uh, entertainment spot. Yeah. And uh, I, I think I knew that going in at some level, but I really kind of just wanted to fail a little bit. Now, I'm a big yeah. proponent for failing because it Failing's teaches great. you so much. The F word. Yeah. yeah. And uh, one of my friends, Fabian Chacon, told me a story how he used to read his poetry at bars and uh, hookah joints that they didn't care what he was reading. They didn't care what he was saying. Yeah, the crowd's not ready for that kind of thing. Yeah, they weren't weren't into it. They weren't there for that. Yeah. But he had to learn that he 
he could grab them by the chest hair and pull them in right to his face and then yeah. make them listen. And he learned how to do that with his words That's, in violence. Uh, yeah, you must have a commanding presence. Yes. And really, I would kind of envied him for that, for having the, uh, that opportunity to learn. And I think that's why I kind of chose JVB. Okay. And I didn't use a microphone there either. I kind of yeah. just had to project. That's good. And uh, failed, but now yeah. I know. And, and failure is such a key to success. So many people avoid it at all costs, but and I'm looking at something you wrote in my notebook here, right? Yeah. Samuel Beckett quote, right? Samuel Beckett, I got a tattoo to my body. Fail again. Fail, fail better. It, it's actually uh, I kind of It's a fail, fail, fail again. Period. Okay. Fail again. Can I can I edit that? Here, yeah, please? yeah. Please go ahead. It's uh, yeah. It's fail, fail, fail again, fail better. As if to say you're never gonna get it right. So don't even try. Going back to the whole perfection idea, you're yeah. never gonna get it right. Um, but just feel free to feel free and <laughs> fail. Yeah. Don't be afraid yeah. of failure. Embrace it and love it when you do. Yeah. And then the next time you do it, even, fail even better. Like make it even more of a miserable mess until it's so miserable that it's perfect. Absolutely. And you kind of have to experience that. Uh, I always, I always teach this to my writing students. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that always holds a lot of people back from being their best is the fear of failure. Yeah. You know, the fear. You know, and a lot of my students are, um, you know. English is their second language, and so right. I think there's a lot of fear, especially being in a in a city where maybe it's you know it's not the first language. You know, Spanish maybe isn't the first language. Now we're here in the border, so it's a little easier. But I, I still think there's a little bit of fear involved, and so sometimes instead of making the mistake, they'll take the easy route. And I think in anybody's growth, you know, it's what we do with the failure that really makes makes us or makes us makes it happen, or especially in terms of success. Yes. And Which, it, uh, the formula is way different for success, you know. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's luck. Sometimes it's also other things. Yeah, It's I mean, also how you define success. That's very true, too. Success is a very fluid definition. And uh, speaking even more about failure, when I was in, uh, I was in New York last year, okay. and I had spent a lot of my money just getting there. So we didn't have a whole lot of money to eat, like nice meals. So I kind of had to go out, and there was a club. We were staying at the Jane Hotel, and that Jane Hotel is a historic building. Yeah. And... Uh, they had renovated the top floor to be a club. So after we came back from a day-long bike ride through New York City, uh, I wanted to go downstairs and draw some portraits of people waiting in line to get into the club. Okay. And my intention was to get as many no's as possible. I wanted every person I ran into to tell me just to get away from them. Yeah. And Especially in New York, it's such hustle bustle. It's such a fast paced thing. People will not want to stop for that kind of thing. They won't. Yeah. But I was determined to get ten no's before I allowed myself to go back upstairs and go to All sleep right. in this little bed that didn't even fit one person. <laughs> and um, and I did. I got ten no's, and finally somebody said yes, and I, I did their portrait for a dollar. Nice. It's <laughs> a great story, man. Should have you back on just to talk about your your work as a illustrator, as a painter, as an artist. You know. Uh, you know, one of the coolest gifts I've ever gotten was from you. Oh, nice! When you ended up uh, doing a portrait of me mm -hmm. performing, uh, have that in my in my apartment. You know, see so you walk in and and it feels oh, a little. Um, I don't know. I question it. Like, is it 
is it egotistical you know like i'm always i'm always kind of curious when someone's in my apartment for the first time like what they think and i always have to explain this was a gift <laughs> and then i get to explain you know rex wade and then i get to be like and also he has this book now that i have your book i can there pull it out like i have a bookshelf just with friends books see this is a ploy i started even back in october of last year all right that's what it was <laughs> yeah it's the long con yeah that's what it is <laughs> so we do man we make it happen and we make it work uh, that's funny but I, I really do you know you do great work too and Thank I wanted you. to point that out um, even into other you know for the foray into um, writing and directing and producing creating videos now right yeah it's, a, it's all learning experiences it is and so kind of with that in mind you know learning experiences what did you learn from the completion of Dream of Chaos and Silence and how was it kind of affecting your current writing into the future. Okay, well, what I've learned most about about this book, uh, I learned more about performing the book in front of people. Okay. So at Giovanni Bronson's, or even at Cafe de Teca, like some of these stories, if you read the whole thing out loud, which I've done alone in my room, it takes like two and a half hours to read yeah. one of the books. And uh, what, I've, what I've learned is I can't let, I can't expect someone to sit for two and a half hours while I read them a story. <laughs> so I need right. to grab their attention really fast. And the way I used to approach writing these stories, at least, were they're a boxing match. You know, there's some jabs, yeah. some uppercuts. Yeah. You know, you fall down, you get up. Like you, rhetorically, you mean for, as, a, as a writer, you, those are your punches? Or what do you mean? Yeah, like my, I'm punching you with my words. You sure. know, I'm kind of rope-a-doping you into some long sentences, and then boom, short, short, short. Yeah. You know, powerhouse punch to the face. Um, but I realized recently, if you watch a boxing match now in 2017, they're pretty boring. Oh yeah, because they 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 don't. They're not know, boxing. They're anymore. getting paid. They're getting paid to you know. Yeah, to just stay up as long out, as possible. You know? yeah. But what is interesting is something like MMA, where you never know when it's going to hit. Right. You never know right. when that one thing is going to get so dramatic you stop breathing. Um, so the way I approach writing now is I try to keep it under 3,000 words or even under 2,000 if I can, if it's a short story. Okay. And um, I, I still use the three-act arc, you know, sure. your setup, your climax, your resolution. But the way I approach writing now is I imagine it like a screw, and I'm screwing a screw a third of the way into a piece of wood, and that's the, third, that's the first act. Okay. And then I'm going to take a sledgehammer and slam it the rest of the rest of the way in. Oh man, that's great! So when you're when you're reading the book, you're slowly going into something, and then boom, you're knocked in the face without ever knowing what happened, and it happens fast. And oh. that's something I learned how to do, doing these readings. You know, you got you got to bring them in, tell them the information you need to need them to know, and then you need to punch them in the face with it as hard as you can and hope that's, they don't uh, get back up that's great that's uh taking kafka to task right with the taking a book must be an axe for the frozen sea within us yeah like you, you, you gotta really make them feel it as much as you feel it and uh that's what i'm trying to do now absolutely cool and so uh let's end things you know okay talking about your your current writing yeah well right now i'm working on another short story collection called spoon daffodilis and the undying screech and uh, that's kind of like it's 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 a bizarre what a name <laughs> yeah it's a bizarre short story collection, um, and the first book the first short story I have in that one is called a uh, Wild Spine Tree Hugger, which I just submitted to Harper's Magazine and uh, New Yorker, and hopefully they like it. Um, Wild Spine Tree Hugger. So yeah, I'm just uh, working on that, working on my videos, working on some paintings, some drawings. 
and um, doing the book tour and then maybe doing some classes at the library, you know, teaching Perfect. people how to draw. Thanks, man. It was great having you on the show. I Thank think you, we were able to, to talk about quite a bit in yeah. such a short amount of time. I know uh, most people don't think an hour is a short amount of time, but I know we could have kept on talking too. So, uh, hey guys, be on the lookout for, for Rex, his work. I know he has a YouTube page for book reviews, audio recordings of his work, and additional shenanigans. Additional shenanigans. Additional, always the best kind of the additional <laughs> ones, you know. Uh, and uh, anything he does to keep himself occupied, uh, we'll go ahead and link ways to get a hold of him on on the episode in the description. So thanks again, guys, for listening to the Being Wamas podcast. I think, if anything, let's end this show with, uh, let's see, Rex, do you have any advice for any anyone out there trying to create that, anything. that advice is, is to fail and to own that failure. That's really important to me. I started trying to do tattoos also, and one of the first major tattoos I did on myself was that quote, fail, fail again, fail better. Nice. And it was a failure. But um, <laughs> yeah, and, and then I did another tattoo on my friend, and it was a lot better. I failed a little bit better. And uh, hopefully the next time I do another tattoo, I'm going to get it right. Right, um, on, right on. But don't be afraid of failure. Don't be afraid of people telling you no. That's right. Try to get as many no's as possible because you're going to get right. a lot more no's than yes to that. Awesome. I think that's great. What an excellent way to end the show. Thanks again for listening to the Be podcast. If this is your first time, check out more episodes. If you're a returning listener, we look forward to doing more episodes for you guys. If you have any suggestions or comments and ways in which we can improve the, sh- improve the show, uh, please don't hesitate to contact us. I'll leave that information as well in the description. Um, you can send me an email personally at rdmarufo at gmail.com. That's r-d-m-a-r-r-u-f-o at gmail.com. We're going to send things off with our good friends Kati Blue and their track entitled Something to Believe in. Check them out online. And that's it for the Be Almost Podcast with for Rex Owen Wade. My name is Rich. Let's go ahead and uh, see you guys next time. Peace. Thank you.